Any questions this morning? Um, I was listening to the Vyasa Forge lecture you gave this year in the spring, and you mentioned something like that the spiritual master and the disciple will recognize each other in God. Sounds so nice, but or like all of us spending the eternity together in God sounds very nice, but. Am I just being sentimental? Mm-hmm. No, not at all. That's what it's like, yeah. Sometimes it's possible that in a rather broad campaign, like Srila Prabhupada, for example, he had a broad campaign of so many disciples and so forth, and he, there may be some recruiting that goes on in general for the Sampradaya. And where, whereas some, some may be related with, with him, for example, in his particular group, and whereas others, he may have been involved in recruiting them for the Sampradaya in general, and then they'll be eventually um, situated in in group that they that they belong in, but um, for the most part, you know, what you heard is, is, is a fact. And just like we've talked about the swarup of the, of the jiva, the disciple is a swarup that awakens through the culture of bhakti over time, so the spiritual master has a swarup also. And so as our we become aware of our sroop, so at similarly and proportionately we become aware of the spiritual master's swarup also. So as we're relating externally through the sadhaka dehas, so then internal service um, in, the, in, the, in one sroop or, or siddha deha, that is not um, somehow divorced from the guru, and it's not as we advance that less and less we need the guru. No, um, I told some of the devotees last night the story how once Prabhupada was bathing in the Ganges. Some of you may know the story, and uh, then one of his disciples extended his hand down to help him out of the water. So Prabhupada took his hand and came out. And when he got on the shore, Prabhupada threw his hand down like this, disconnecting. And then that devotee stood back and was quite surprised, thought he'd done something wrong. And Prabhupada said, this is my avad. That they uh, used the guru, used the deity for a their own purpose to become the guru to become the deity no longer have any utilization for them anymore hmm. do you follow? in Mayavad philosophy then the idea that there is an individual jiva that is that's just uh, considered to be an illusion and so when the jiva realizes this is their theory of course realizes that then there is no other and the guru, he becomes the guru, he becomes God, and and so forth. So they don't need the, the guru's a crutch, the deity is a crutch, something like that. But that's not Vaishnava philosophy, and, and not Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy in, in, in particular. We say, Sakshadharitena samasta shastra, uttastata bhavgate vasadvi kintu pravorya priyevatasya. So, in this verse, it's mentioned first that the Guru should be seen as representation, representative of God, Sakshad Hodi. God is directly coming to us in the form of the Guru. I remember getting quivers hearing in my spine, standing next to Prabhupada, hearing him say that once. So, it's an exciting idea. God comes to us locally in this in, in this form, uh, and all the shastras say that. But it says, 
But, however, while he's directly God, he's also dear to God. So, it's qualified, not he's God. Like Prabhu would give an example, if the ambassador of the country goes to another country, then he's treated like the head of state, because he's representing the country. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that he's, he's the head of state. And when Vishnu says, however, he's also dear to Krishna, it doesn't only mean that, well, that he's God in a sense, but not God in the full sense. It means kintu prabhorya priya, that he's dear to Krishna, also means he's a devotee of Krishna. It means he has a relationship with Krishna. Just like you are cultivating a relationship with Krishna through the guidance of the Guru, the Guru has a relationship with Krishna also. And in time, the fact that the Guru is represented of God, Sakshadhari, directly God, directly Hari, at first that will be more prominent. But in time, as we become advanced, then we'll see the Guru through a different eye, internal eye. And we'll see that, that the Guru is, the second part of that stanza, the Guru is, is very dear to Krishna, becomes apparent to us in what way the Guru is dear to Krishna, how he or she is serving Krishna internally, which for the most part will correspond with how we want to serve Krishna internally. This is generally the case, that's why we have that, that Guru. As I say, as our own internal spiritual body, Swarup, um, awakens, and we see ourselves in that, we see also our Gurudev in similar Form. And so that relationship is taking place internally, just like we have relationship externally through the sadhaka deha of the guru and the, and the disciple. And then internally, on, the, on following in the, the, the mood of the guru, then we will serve Krishna with his permission, following in the same way. And this is the general idea. So it's a fact that. Uh, that uh, we'll all be together. It's a nice idea. Once uh, some of Prabhupada's disciples asked, Sridhar Maharaj said, said that this relationship between the spiritual master and the disciple is eternal, but our spiritual master has left and so forth. And so, will he come back and pick us up next lifetime? So Shudamar said, well, so someone will come. Someone will come. Guru is one. So Guru means, in a general sense, representing Krishna. And then they said, but what if we, what if we want that one? Then Shudamar said, no, that it may be that um, Krishna will say, uh, he will come to the Krishna and say, oh, they're calling me. And then Krishna will say, oh, well, I, I, I want you here. So I brought you on so I'll send someone else. But then he'll say, no, it's, they want me. Mm. And he said, all right, go ahead. <laughs> so, of course, we had to follow the Guru. So if we're following, then how can he possibly give us up? Impossible. So he'll come after us. Or maybe, of course, Krishna is the guru, that's the general idea. The guru is representing Krishna, Guru Tattva. So he may send someone else, but then that person will bring us and situate us in relation to our uh, Sadguru in Goloka. So, yeah, no question of disconnection at any time. Even if we try, it's difficult. What else? Uh, the time when I was fully in the book distribution, one inspiration what we got many times was this 10,000 golden years in Kali Yuga. And I remember it was often by many Iskand gurus and we really got into that idea. But is there some sastric background or how should we see it? Because we really saw it like in, within in five years, the whole society will 
chains <laughs> because we are distributing these books and the Satya Yoga starts for them. I mean, whatever, it, it mm. went really far. But I uh, once did some research on that a little bit and I, I couldn't find much about 10,000 years. I couldn't find it in Bhagavatam or I don't believe it, Chaitanya Charitamrita or any of those main source books, 10,000 years in Kali Yuga, golden period since the time of Lord Chaitanya. But there's something mentioned somewhere, I think Brigham has written an article about it, isn't it? You want to, you want to tell us the truth? <laughs> <laughs> it appears that it, there isn't anything in the, in the Shastras to this effect. Mm-hmm. So, Prabhupada perhaps... In fact, I, I look. I didn't find exactly what Prabhupada said. Even he might have said something like, "In the time of Lord Chaitanya, and becomes auspicious," which is understandable for for some time. He might have said, "Did he say ten thousand years someplace?" He did. Yeah. But he generally said that that when they would ask that, will it become like Satya Yuga? He would say that, yes, if you cooperate and work nicely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he would sometimes be kind of generous and encouraging and so forth. And Unfortunately, with some of his students would take his encouragement a little too literally and, and to take themselves a little too seriously also. I mean, 10,000 years is a pretty long time. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, when you're talking about 432,000s of years and and Kali Yugas and Divya Yugas and days of Brahma and so forth, and if that becomes your frame of reference for a while, at least theoretically, then 10,000 sounds small. But if you wake up one morning and, and think, "Well, wait a minute, I'm living right here, right now, and 10,000 years right here, right now is a long time." Hmm. So yeah, I wouldn't expect it too soon that uh, the world was going to change too too radically. But 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 what I'm saying at the same time is, I wouldn't um, minimize the the value of of that kind of service, sincere service rendered. Um, There's nothing to be um, dismissed, and. those involved certainly got some benefit and and much opportunity as I say was created for others. But but when they'll actually be able to take advantage of that there may be some, some time. So if, if you take a person like Prabhupada, he had a very you know, he was living in this like four hundred and thirty two thousand years, day of Brahma and once when we asked them why the most intelligent people in the world don't take up Krishna consciousness, they said they do. Narada and Shiva and <laughs> Brahma. Yeah. What are you talking about? So he had a particular frame of reference that he was speaking from. <clears throat> and also he saw the prospect of his disciples and he knew the value of being in touch with Krishna consciousness with the live wire of Krishna consciousness and what that meant and and um, how insignificant lifetimes and lifetimes of conditioning, material conditioning was in comparison to that uh, type, that, that, that connection. Mm-hmm. Sridharmarsh once told me that that um, sadhu sangha means association with devotees, real devotees, with the real devotees. Like he says, like an like an like an atom. Atom is very small, so even a little association, oh, he said, has great potential. Just like the atom has great potential inside of it, so, so much power inside of it. So, when it will fully manifest, that's another thing, but we can't minimize that kind of association. So, a person like Prabhupada could see that, he was very much, much living in that. So, he would always 
was common for him to minimize our conditioning and and uh, and to see kind of very with a very kind of positive eye and almost like um, like um, like with a kind of a na- naivety about about himself that uh, he's going to change the governments and the world and and so on and so forth. So what he's actually seeing when he's talking about that, that maybe another thing and how some of his students interpreted it and thought of it and 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 so on. But anyway, regardless of the fact that the way you were thinking about it might not be exactly, well, it wasn't exactly how it's... Um, those aren't the, the, the implications of... His, his uh, vision still it was a very good thing to do in, in most cases. I mean, it depends too, I suppose, uh, to be frank. Uh, when Prabhupada was here and we were distributing his books, and I was very much involved in that myself, and at that time the, we, he was, the money was largely being used for publishing his Bhagavatam edition, Chaitanya Charitamrita, mean, these are revolutionary things for the, for the world. I mean, uh, first time to have such books in, in, in English medium, eventually they came in other languages as well, but that was a special uh, time. It was very, very powerful. Not that in other times it, it wasn't, but that was very special. All special, but more special. So, as I say, I don't want to minimize what what that was about and the value of it, but at the same time, it's sometimes good to have a realistic outlook. But a realistic outlook, again, should be, in the the name of that, we should be careful not to minimize. And There's something wonderful going on there, for sure. I mean, I was very involved, as I say, and and we were rather... um, Well, I was telling you a little last night how I was sneaking around the airport in the disguise, selling books and so forth. And you know, when I look back, I kind of laugh, and I, who knows what I was telling those people. I'd love to have you know, recordings of how I, how I was preaching to them. I'm sure it was quite simplistic compared to what I'm preaching now, but I was quite ecstatic doing it nonetheless. So I was thinking the other day of my first Bhagavatam class and how blissful it was and how lost I was in giving... To talk, but I thought I'd had dread to hear it probably today. But I was thinking that was very interesting, that phenomenon. So anyway, sincere service rendered, even if we don't have a whole lot of knowledge, theoretical knowledge. Theoretical knowledge is really only as valuable as it fuels our practice. Prabhupada was very good at getting a lot of people practicing. And he used, you know, he pulled out all the stops. He used every trick in his bag to get people to, to practice. And sometimes, therefore, it's said that siddhanta and preaching are not always the same. You follow? So he might have led some of his students to believe. He might have said something and realized, oh, they're thinking of it like that. Hmm, that's funny. But anyway, it's working. <laughs> it's, it's motivating them to practice, and that's good. So they'll figure it all out in time. Everything comes from practice. Something like that. Once I was with my godbrother Nishingamarsh. We were talking to a, to a godbrother of Prabhupada's who, who's passed away now. His name was uh, well, he was famous as Doctor Kapoor, and. Um, Shingamarsh brought this point up to him that that Siddhanta and preaching are not always the same. And uh, he said, "Yes, that is the way of the way of our Guru Maharaj, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur." In other words, there was sometimes some propaganda. There wasn't necessarily the Siddhanta, the devotional scriptural conclusions that he was was speaking. And he said, he said that um, as a scholar, he said, I could not fully appreciate that. And then the Shingamara said, 
I can appreciate that point, he said, but from another point of view, not a scholarly point of view, of course, but from a practical point of view, he said, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that policy. And Dr. Kapoor laughed and said, that's me too. (laughs) (laughs) So then he was appreciating it for a moment. So to be empowered for some wide-scale campaigns, that's no no small thing. And... um, can look back and you can find discrepancies and so forth in the in the wake of that, in the aftermath and so on. But um, that's not very wise to do, especially if your your devotional life is is a product of that. I mean, Prabhupada was very much like a whirlwind of Krishna consciousness, like a tidal wave of Krishna consciousness, just kind of came and drown a bunch of people, and, and I hate to use that analogy of what's going on in the world right now, but um, but he drowned them in, 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 in Krishna consciousness, and um, and it was very fast, I mean, the way he wrote all those books. I mean, I know I write books, so to sit down and write a book and cross all the T's and dot all the I's, and you have to because people looking at you would like a fine-tooth comb these days. They're just looking for some, you know, something to jump on you for. So, but it wasn't like that when Prabhupada was writing, we are all this, we never heard anything before, so whatever he said, he, he could have said it one way or another way, we would have accepted it because he had captured our faith. But what he did do, really, was something that was, uh, I mean, he wrote a lot of a lot of books uh, pretty pretty quickly, in 12 years or so, I think, his, since he came to America wrote quite a few books, and he, so when you write books like that, then, you know, you, it's not the same as sitting down and writing one book, like my Bhagavad Gita edition took a couple of years to do. That's a little different than coming out with a 400-page book every month, which is what he was, he was doing for a while. And he had, well, it was, I think, uh, when it was published, his purports for the Bhagavatam were 30, 30 volumes. And then the Chaitanya Charitamrita, 17 volumes. I think he used to say 60 books or 60 volumes. Or maybe he had 60 volumes. So in five years, that's what? That's, that's, that's uh, 12 books, uh, like a book a month. Book a month club. Yeah, a, he created a book a month club. And it was quite incredible to be in that club because, gee, I mean, every month we were just, it was like raining down this Krishna conscious information and insight that was just overwhelming. So you can imagine we were in like kind of like a spiritual bubble. It was incredible. It was very much nourishing what he had given to us in the form of the mantra and his sharing his faith with that shiksha, that instruction. I mean, he had a wide campaign, but he was really nurturing every disciple who took advantage of uh, of of the publication work. It's an incredible amount of literature. But again, then you, you, when you do it like that and you're traveling at the same time around the world, I think he did like 12 world tours or something like that. And there's a, books like like this big, half a dozen in the soil of his letters that he wrote, a correspondence also. It's quite uh, a bit of um, writing in such a short period of time and not sitting in an ideal place quietly and, but um, while traveling around the world and managing all kinds of people I mean for me just to manage the smallest thing is, is gradually impossible organize people and deal with issues and problems and so forth it's quite an amazing um, uh, accomplishment and so if the T's are not all crossed and the I's are all not all dotted and, and you said it a little bit one way this way, here, one way that way here, and you can attribute it to the editors, didn't do the best job, or just for the fact that what he was in the middle of doing. And, um, and that he wasn't sitting down to, you know, to get a Pulitzer Prize or anything like that. Or... or um, it, it basically, he was in, he was just writing down his in, inspiration, and it was considerable. And therefore, so many people in touch with that were were so much inspired 
this kind of campaign is very extraordinary. And it's no wonder that some of his students in ISKCON think about him the way they do it, that becomes, fortunately, a little fanatical and counterproductive, but it, he did, it is it, thinking to be unique, and certainly he was. It, it shouldn't go entirely in the direction that it, that it has in some some instances, like I say, that are counterproductive. But yes, it was very ex- ex- extraordinary. And to be in his company was very extraordinary. So we should really much... Uh, unfortunately, some people look back now, as I say, or they weren't involved at the time, and they look back and and uh, they see some I's weren't dotted and T's weren't crossed, and they think they have justification for making less of the campaign. We should be... A, an ear, give an ear to that. It will not be in our interest. He was the most uh, remarkable person. No, that doesn't mean that he's the Sainapati and all that stuff. What is it? What they say? That it's some Stapaka charge. The people, unfortunately, the, see, I'm saying nice things, but I draw the line to it. It doesn't mean that he's God in every respect and that he's the, you know, replaced. Lord Chaitanya for the Kali Yuga or something like that. No, not like that. I wrote a letter once to some of the leaders of ISKCON and I said the problem, ironically, the problem with the, the, the group is over-glorification of Prabhupada. I said, I'm, I'm sure I'm losing most of you right now in the, in the next sentence with that sentence, but anyway, this is what I mean by that, and I explained it nicely, and it's just, unfortunately, it was, it's just a fact. So, in one sense, you can't glorify him enough, but then you, but then there's a way to glorify also, and if you go outside of that, then you go outside of the Siddhanta, and then suddenly, for example, if the Guru becomes God in the, in the, in the, in the glorification of the Guru, then what, what kind of, will he like that? Will that be pleasing to him? So, that should be avoided. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it was an extraordinary thing that you were involved in, and, and you were probably pretty enthusiastic, and you were thinking you were going yeah, to take over the whole world. That might have been. things were done, I don't think I would sit here if I didn't do that. Yeah. So, personally, I'm thankful that I was part of it, although I could list so many things which were wrong or whatever, but I don't. Right. I wouldn't sit here now. I know that. Right. Or at least I feel like that. Yeah, so it's good to see it in, in perspective. What else? Yes? Uh, what's the significance of Checha Guru? And is Checha Guru the same as Paramatma? Or... Chaitaguru means like like the Lord in in heart. He said that the the Chaitaguru comes outside as the Mahant Guru before us. So it's the same concept, Antaryami, indwelling. But um, there's a point. We say that the Paramatma is in the heart. Antaryami means same thing. Chaitaguru. Indwelling, the indwelling guide. God is in the heart. We are wandering throughout the universe. He, he makes our day bright by bringing us in touch with the Mahant Guru, the Guru, the external Guru who represents Him. And He speaks louder, so we can hear Him in all, in all, in all uncertain terms and so forth. Brahma heard in the heart. He was the only person around, so he heard from within the heart, but not everybody can be like like Brahma. So, yes, uh, Antaryami, but we teach that um, that this Paramatma, the Lord in the heart, is a ultimately a representation, an aspect, a manifestation of Godhead that we're not particularly interested in, because we're interested in Goloka Vrindavan. So at some point in our sadhana, that fellow 
the Paramatma will be displaced. And the deity whom we're approaching will take his seat in the heart. It said, Mahaprabhu says, Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kavitam Ba Jagadisha Kamaye Mama Janmani Janmanishpare Babatat Bhakti Rahoyitakitari. So, what is significant about this verse relative to the point I'm making? He says, Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kavitam Ba Jagadisha Kamaye Mama Janmani Janmanishpare so this is even an advanced stage of bhakti. The, the, the translation is, I don't want any followers or wealth or knowledge, nadanam, najanam, nasundam, kavitamba, jagadishwa, O Lord of the universe. So who's the jagadishwar? Jagadishwar means the paramatma. Ishwar, he says, mama janmani janman ishwar. Well, he uses the word Jagadish, Jagadish, Ishwar, two names of God. It's, it's a general reference to God. And in the next verse, what does he say? Ainanda Tanuja. So he's changed from Jagadishwar, the Paramatma, to Nanda Tanuja, the son of Nanda Maharaj. So in Asakti, which is the stage after Ruchi, he said that the, that the Lord takes his seat in the heart of the devotee, the, the, the deity of the, uh, takes his seat there. So, there's some scope for thinking of it along these lines, that the Chaitya Guru, the Paramatma is in the heart. But as we advance, especially when we come to really, real Raghunuga Bhakti, when Ruchi becomes ripe, Bhaktisiddhanta Sastri Thakur in his Upadesh Amrita um, uh, commentary. He liked to say there that uh, Ruchi, when Ruchi comes, then Rag, Raganuga Bhakti can really be performed. When Ruchi is, is mature, then one's Ishtadevata, deity, with regard to Raganuga Bhakti, that means Krishna himself, not Paramatma, not Nasringa or. or uh, Bhamana or some avatar, but Krishna himself, Krishna in Vrindavan, this is a, the Vishaya Lambana, the object of love for the devotees there. So he comes into view. So he takes, he, at that time in Asakti, the devotee, his taste becomes mature, his taste for bhakti becomes mature. I just want to do bhakti to the Lord, life after life. I'm taking pleasure in bhakti. And as it reaches maturity, then along with attachment to bhakti, comes attachment to the object of bhakti. And so, the Paramatma is displaced, and Nanda Tanuja takes place. Who is Nanda Tanuja? That is Krishna, son of Nanda Maharaj. So in one verse he's praying to Paramatma, in the next verse he's praying to to Prajanda Nandan Krishna, the son of Nanda Maharaj. So he's, that's, his object of love has come into full view. And so, therefore, Bhaktivinoda Thakur is teaching that with, when, the, when the object of love, attachment for the object of love is, is uh, in, in place, he takes his seat in the heart, and then the devotee just begins to glimpse himself in relation to, the, to his object of love. As he begins to glimpse the Vishaya Lamana, the fact that he's potentially the Ashraya Lamana, the shelter of that love, the container of love that corresponds with that deity. Do you understand? Hmm? We talked about this the other day. You're going to have Krishna and you're going to have a kind of love that corresponds with Krishna. And which Krishna? Krishna looks a little different according to the Staibhava of the devotee. Hmm, he'll appear a little bit differently. So anyway, he comes there. And then one enters into Baba Bhakti and, and pursues a, a relationship with that uh, directly in the ways we've talked about. 
in the last few days with uh, with that Lord. So, at some point, the Paramatma is displaced, and then we see that the, the Guru, therefore it's mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita, the Guru is Sakshat Nandana, directly representing Nandan Krishna. Once um, we say Sakshat Hari, that is a more general thing, Sakshat Nandana. Sakshat means directly. So one time, I remember a discussion with uh, Pujapat Sridhar Maharaj, and he, he said something like that. We're not very much interested in the Paramatma. We're more interested in in, in the Guru representing Prajendananda and Krishna. We give our attention there. So it, it implies that as that becomes clear to us that our Guru is... He used to say, "What a particular potency representing a particular potency means potency means shakti means the nature of his love for Krishna. When that kintu prabhoyapriyavatas that he's dear to Krishna, when that comes into view, so Krishna is also coming into view, the corresponding form of Krishna. So he, anyway, this way the paramatma is displaced in a sense. So you've seen a, a picture of Hanuman tearing apart his chest and." Because somebody told him Sita Ram was in his heart. And there's the picture, and Sita Ram's in there. What happened to the Paramatma? Where did he go? So, by the force of the devotee's bhakti, that Lord has come. Krishna says in the Gita, I'm in the hearts of, er- of everyone. Uh, but uh, in, I think in the 15th chapter, Savasya Chaham Hridisanavishto, he's there as the Paramatma in everybody's heart, but who has the bhakti for him, then he takes the place of the Paramatma. He's actually there. Yam shama sundaram achintaguna svarupam It is mentioned. What is that verse? Premanjana churita bhakti velochanena sandasadeva hridayeshu velokayanti Yam Shama Sundaram This was the experience of Brahma. He said, when the eyes become tinged with the salve of love, then he sees that Sham Sundar, Achintaguna Swarupam, whose form is, is full of inconceivable qualities appearing in his heart. Gopal Krishna appeared in the heart of Brahma. And then he came outside and talked to him. He said, take this mantra, be happy. And remember these four verses. Told him the Bhagavatam, the four verses. Shook his hand, as proposite. Nice to meet you, pal. Something like that. <laughs> so go ahead and create. He said, go ahead and be the prime minister, you know, for now, but... Keep this mantra also. This is Brahma had a desire to create also. He did it in the context of becoming Krishna conscious. So Krishna blessed him. Be all that you can be successful in creating, and when it's all through, then come to me. So in that sense, we're not so much interested in the, in the Paramatma, but then we can't be false either. Now we have relative to our status in, in bhakti. Vishwanath Chakrabhati Thakur does raise the argument in his Raghavartma Chandrika that someone may wonder for who the, who hears the prayers of the Raghunuga Sadaka when Krishna himself is and doesn't even know he's God. In the Braj, he's forgotten that he's God, overpowered by the devotee's love. So who's going to hear your prayers if you pray to him? He said, therefore... Someone may say that, well, the Paramatma will listen. But he said that the, re- the real Raghunuga Bhakti, he can't relate to that idea. My prayers are going to go to the Paramatma. My prayers for Krishna. So then he explains that uh, Krishna never loses his omnipotence. Even though he, he forgets that he's God, he still is God. So there's an aspect of him that remains cognizant and for the sadhakas. But then... What kind of sadhaka is that <laughs> that can that can get Krishna's attention when he's in, wrapped in the embrace of 
of, of Radha. It's a high sadhaka. So, ruchi bhakta, asakti bhakta. It's also sadhaka, sadhana. What is the last stage of sadhana bhakti? Is it an artha nivritti? No. Nishta? No. Ruchi? No. Asakti? Yes. What does asakti mean? As- asakti means attachment. So the devotee is attached to the object of his or her love at that time. Here he comes in the heart. He hears the prayers. One can start having the ideal of Raghunuga Bhakti before that. That's fine. We all want to go there to the, the Brajalila. But does our sadhana and prayers have the power to to attract his attention at this time when they're intermittent? Maybe we can become fixed and determined and so forth. We might think, mm. so it's a gradual transition that this Paramatma is being displaced. <laughs> but when Asakti comes, he's displaced. And 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 this, at that time, the Sadaka Deha becomes pure. Krishna worships that form himself. Krishna worships the form of his devotee whose sadhaka day has become pure. He wants to use that. Karma is finished, you see, at this point. The karma is The smoke's finished. The fire was finished at, at, at Nishta. Smoke is gone of the samsara, of the fire of material existence. It's, it's, it's gone. Now, if a jnani's karma is gone, what happens to him? If a jnani becomes a, a jivanmukta, and his parabdha, manifest karma, is finished, what happens to him? That's it. Karma's over means the body dies, because the body's just karma. But what happens to a devotee who's pursuing the brajalila of Krishna? He comes to the stage of asakti, his karma's finished. But in order to cultivate that kind of love, then... Krishna keeps him here as a Baba Bhakta, does things through him and so forth. It's very extraordinary. So that sadhaka deha, even, even in Baba Bhakti, there, it's sadhana. It's a kind of sadhana still. But the sadhaka deha, at any rate, at, at asakti, then it becomes, becomes pure, like a, like a golden box, gold-plated box. I think I gave that example the other day acts like a gold box. Hmm? In that body, serving Krishna, Krishna listens. Krishna comes, even though he's wrapped in the embrace of Radha, he, he'll hear those kind of prayers. What kind of prayer, what kind of sadhana that is. In asakti, what is the difference, one difference between asakti and nishta? In nishta, nishta means what? Fixed. So one's faith, one's practice is fixed. means one doesn't deviate. Even though the senses may try to deviate, even the mind may try to deviate, he remains or she remains fixed in practice. Can't be deviated. So if the mind wanders, that kind of nishta, sadhak, brings it back. Just brings it back. He doesn't quite know how it wanders, he was thinking of Krishna, thinking of Krishna, thinking of Krishna. And then he finds, I'm thinking of something else. And he brings it back. How it got there, it's just kind of like if the wheels of your car are not aligned properly and you let go of the steering wheel and it goes, just veers off to the left or the right. So the mind just kind of veers off on its own. But he's, with his intelligence, he's bringing it back, bringing it back. And it never gets so far that he's over there with it. And you know, He's remaining here, even though the mind's going over there. And then his hearing and chanting, of course, he's always paying very close attention. But in Ruchi, or in, in Asakti, two stages later, see the difference? From Nishta to Ruchi to Asakti. In asakti, if he's talking about ordinary things or with someone, 
or thinking about ordinary things that need to be done, let's say, for example. Suddenly he finds his mind thinking of Krishna. How it got there? I don't know. Just the opposite. He just went there. He just went. And people think he's a little crazy. I'm in a conversation with him and then he's off talking about Krishna, bringing it all to Krishna. So, this is an advanced stage. Of, this is still within the realm of, of practice, sadhana bhakti. Baba hasn't come yet. That kind of sadhana, that can certainly attract the attention of Krishna. Hmm? He'll hear our prayers. Otherwise, before that, anyway, Gurudev is hearing our prayers, passing them on to Krishna. But that higher stage, uh, Krishna is taking the place in the heart. And then you can see inside too. Then you think, well, no longer need, need for the guru. But then he appears inside as well <laughs> to help us in that regard. Interesting, huh? I found that to be very interesting. <laughs> what else? Yes? Is there any worship of Gaur and Vishnu Priya in the Bhakti Nod Parivar? There is worship of Gaur and Vishnu Priya in uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur established the deity of Gaur and Vishnu Priya, I believe, in Mayapur at the Janmastan, isn't it? I'm quite sure about that, yeah. But the, the idea in which, the conception with which the worship of Gaur and Vishnu Priya as it takes place is more um, is in the mood of das dasya as a servant. So in the, the emphasis of Bhaktivinoda Thakur in this regard is the worship of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Gaur, Vishnu Priya, Navadvip, and so forth as a, in, in, as a servant in dasya bhakti. So in dasya bhakti there is going to be an element of reverence. So, so, so sometimes we see then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as the guru. So even if we have a relationship with Krishna that's romantic, we don't have that relationship with the guru. If we have a, in fact, if we have a relationship with Krishna, a romantic relationship with Krishna, the guru may have a romantic relationship with Krishna also. But our relationship with the guru will not be romantic. Will be the servant. Will be, it'll be it'll be in dasya, something like that. That's the idea. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is seen by the uh, Rupanugas, Raghunath Das Goswami's prayers, as 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 like the guru. He's like the Acharya Lila. So, in that context, the Namadweep Leela, as charming as it is, it's seen as, as um, to be approached with Dasya Bhakti, and by that Dasya Bhakti to Gaur and Vishnu Priya, one finds oneself awakening in the Braja Leela, in a, in a particular relationship of, of intimacy with Bhagwan, like a friend or lover or something. Do you follow? So that may be Sakya Bhakti or uh, Madhurya Bhakti, but the relationship with Gore that he emphasizes is in Dasya Bhakti. Uh, I realize other people talk about other things, but that's certainly not the emphasis of, of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. And neither is it the emphasis of Vishwanath um, Chakravati Thakur. We sing the song of the Eightfold Daily Leela of Mahaprabhu is taken written by is in the Bengali song is written by a disciple of Vishwanath. But it's based on the Sanskrit verses of Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur that he composed stanzas about Mahaprabhu's Daily Leela. That he mentions Vishnu Priya there in a particular way. And it's 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 then there's another poem with verses about Mahaprabhu's Eightfold Leela. And it's told a little differently, and it's and it's told. Vishnu Priya is kind of taken out of the out of the 
equation and Mahaprabhu doesn't come home at night. He stays at the Shiva's Sangam and, and uh, it's, it, it's uh, attributed to Rupa Goswami, but it's, there's no way that it could, be, could have been written by Rupa Goswami because it, it's more rasic. That's the characteristic of Vishwanath's writing, that he's drawing more out from the rasa than, than the predecessors. So, anyway, so we, we, we yeah, we uh, have uh, that ideal of, of worship. That's a big thing, the big world, the spiritual world, so there may be so many different sentiments, but these are the prominent ideas. Worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as a, as a, in Dasya Bhakti, Gaur and Vishnu Priya, Lakshmi Priya also. And th- by that, Gain access to the Brajalila at the same time. We have regard for Vishnu Priya, who gave Mahaprabhu the permission to take sannyas, and, and so then this Acharya Leela took place. We could be saved by that. So we have regard for her. Once I did an interview, I wrote an article on women and bhakti. It was called a long, long time ago. And I did interviews of... Um, widows in Vrindavan who are all Bengalis. I actually only interviewed one one lady who was the head of the widows. So I was talking with her and asking her different questions and and I said, So do as you as you as ladies of uh, devotees and um, retired ladies here in Vrindavan, do you have any like patron saint, you know, amongst women who you idealize and, and so forth. She didn't quite understand what I was saying, and then I said, like, you know, Mirabai, who had a temple, like, right nearby where I was interviewing her, and she said, oh, I don't know. Then she understood what I was saying, and then a big smile came on her face, and she said, Vishnu Priya Devi. It's our ideal, because they were all widows, and Mahaprabhu took sannyas and left her as a widow, and as it was mentioned last night, she used to take uh, chant uh, japa, one round of japa, and then take one and count the rounds by grains of rice. So however many rounds she chanted was how many grains of rice she moved from one pile to the next, and then that pile of grains that she moved that she would cook and eat. And that was her, the way she kept herself. So... Great love for Mahaprabhu. Bhaktivinoda Thakur described her as Bhakti Devi. But she's not Radha in Gorlila. That position is held by Garadhar. So then we go more towards another side. And then they would see Bhaktivinoda Thakur sometimes with the Gaur and Garadhar turn into Radha and Krishna. So, according to Bhaktivinoda, Gaur and Garada are representing that kind of higher side, and Vishnu Priya and Mahaprabhu and side more uh, with um, imbued with regard, reverence, and so on. <laughs>